Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Fresh Coat, Paint Care, Rust-Oleum Brands, and Nice Job. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. On this episode of the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, we host guest Eric Reagan. Eric is the founder and owner of Mission Painting a residential painting company based in Kansas City, Kansas, that does over $2.5 million in annual revenue. In this episode, Eric discusses his why for starting and growing mission painting and how that impacts every decision he makes. He shares why he does not use commissions to motivate his employees, but instead pays them far above market rates and the benefits he has seen in mission painting's culture and service as a result of doing so. Eric discusses the mindset he embraces when faced with disappointment and how that mindset has been a huge catalyst for his growth and success. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Eric, thank you for coming on the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast, man. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about mission painting and home improvements. Uh, let's see. Brief, brief history. Um, we started in Kansas City in 2017. Um, before that, I mentored under another painting business out of Detroit, Michigan, effectively Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, I suppose, uh, called Somerset Painting. Um, we've, had, we've had Brad on. From Somerset. So interesting. So Brad is who bought the business from Rick, whom yeah. I helped start uh, the business with. So um, he started that. This that company's been around twenty nine years. Is that right? At this point, in one form or another, yeah. So Rick had um, started the business in eighty, somewhat in the mid eighties, mm. and uh, used it to pay his way through uh, Bible college, like seminary, right? Mm. So Rick Rick was a full time pastor. And I think that really kind of um, was the ethos of what's trickled down to a couple of other painting businesses. Uh, we mentioned Nash Painting in Nashville also kind of came from that pipeline. Okay. But um, at the end of the day, it was uh, kind of faith and, and mission first, in a sense. And yeah. you ex- execute that by just providing great work, whatever, whatever line of work you're in. You know? And so for us, yeah. it just happened to be painting. So um, when I joined Rick, uh, Rick was just Rick. And then we built... Uh, a business model using things like estimate rockets and whatnot and sure. implemented a lot of strategies. When I left, Brad kind of came in and picked up that ball and ran with it. It's done a great job up there and uh, has really kind of taken what we built and, and taken it to the next level. So it's been, it's been fun to watch from afar. Yeah. I remember going to uh, our first Angie's List conference when Rick and I were both uh, on the advisory board before Angie's List got bought by Home Advisor. Rick and I were on the advisory board for Angie's List. And I remember taking Brad to his first conference and, uh, uh, kind of introducing him to uh, Angie and the former CEO of Angie's List. And, and it was uh, it's just, it's just fun. It's fun to see people that are doing things, um, I think, in, in a sense, the right way um, yeah. flourish. Yeah. So, cool, man. Um, we left, my wife and I left Michigan in 2016, moved to Kansas, uh, bought a house, uh, started her medical practice, had a baby, got my pilot's license and started this painting business all within about 30 days. So if I'm oh going to give advice, 
Goodness. We'll, we'll, prep, we'll preface this. If I'm going to give advice to anybody, it's don't do it that way. <laughs> don't, not, thir- not the 30 days of hell, like put everything in there. Goodness. It, you know what? It, it was one of those things where it, sometimes I think when things get so incredibly hectic, uh, you have to distill things down to the basics just to tread water, you know, and all the fluff and all the nonsense kind of gets pushed aside and you focus on the important stuff. So it, it was actually a really good and fun time, but in hindsight, you're like, man, that was that was a lot going on. Busy, right? Yeah, it was. But um, we actually hit the ground running with um, mission in 2017, in February of 2017. So 2017 was our first full year in business, even though it was only like a 10 month um, deal. But I basically took the um, experience I had working with uh, uh, and for and being a part of Somerset in Michigan and said, okay, I want to start something here. And um, in Michigan, we did siding, uh, occasional roofing, addition, things like that. So it was much more than just a painting business, although painting was the the majority of the revenue. And um, when you're starting fresh, you say, hey, how do I just narrow the focus, right? How do I how do I do just this so it's scalable and replicable? Because our goal has always been just that scalability and replicability, right? So said, let's just focus on painting. How do we do this? Um, in Michigan, we had grown and hired staff to do bookkeeping and secretarial skills. And when you start a new location, you don't have all that cash flow at your disposal right. to be able to afford that. So I kind of devised a system where... <clears throat> everything was automated in a sense. So you go to our website, you schedule an estimate, that's automated, it pushes to our CRM software. We like Estimate Rocket um, and everything talks to one another without having to have a secretary answer the phone. So that at that time I could be free to do the estimating and the project managing. Cause you know, when you first start, you're, you're a one man band. Sure. Um, and so uh, it just, freed up time and then as we've grown we've tweaked our process tweaked our system um now we have a full-time office staff um so that certainly helps sure so do you guys use uh subcontractors then as the painters 100 percent. yeah um my experience and and there i i go to the uh the national conferences and i argue every year <laughs> that um one is neither one is neither right nor wrong right uh, the employee-based model works for some. The subcontractor model works for, for others. Um, I think either model, in order to be successful, needs processes and procedures and oversight in order to be successful, right? Like you can have a bunch of employees and if the inmates are running the asylum, <laughs> you know, like what does it matter? And so when I started here in Kansas, I was kind of idealistic thinking this will be a big kumbaya experience we'll have all employees it'll be w2 and i didn't have the bandwidth to provide the oversight needed and it turned into kind of like that uh the we, we had the cat by the tail and things that required a lot of oversight like a new construction job right um that i would want to be out giving bids or managing uh, you know someone else over here um was not going according to margins that any owner would like to have you know, and, and, and um, when people are working by the hour, I have found what's more important to them is getting their hours, not making sure that a job is profitable for the ownership. No matter what sort of uh, profit sharing there is or anything like that, um, you know, bonusing structure, you can get as creative as you want, but at the end of the day, I think there's still a stark contrast between paying someone a fixed amount for something and then the motivation is on them, right? So in our case, we pay, you know, uh, subcontractor A, a fixed amount to do this job. They know that's their budget. They work within the confines of that budget. And typically uh, our model is smaller subcontractors. So it'd be a, a sub that is its own business entity of three to four painters where the owner operator is a working painter, not someone trying to run three crews or two crews or whatever themselves. Cause that's, that's our job, you know? Right. You don't want another, and almost another middleman in there. Another. It's just, yeah, it's just another hand in the pot. And you know, there's only so much that can go around. So what we do, uh, our business model then 
to answer the question you might have been asking is we have sales and project managers are employed by mission painting right yeah. so a salesperson will sell the job but they're not your project manager. sales are in, in our model the sales guys um or, or, or gals um their job is to go sell and just to do that right so um it's, it's actually a pretty great job your only job is just to go meet with people yeah. and be aff be affable yeah yeah it's fantastic I'd, if i had a time machine i would just go back and hire myself for that role yeah yeah for sure <laughs> and crush all day just crush yeah the project manager role is um the higher paying job in our company but it's also the harder job because their job is to be their role and responsibility is to be on every job site every day. Um, we use another software um, called Builder Trend, uh, which a lot of um, general contractors use to communicate with both internal users and external users. What I mean is um, they are on site every day entering a daily log and that daily log is either shareable with external users, the homeowners or the subcontractors or internal other project managers or salespeople, we all get notifications. So we can see, hey, this is where this job is. This is where this job. So every day, emails are just flooded with job updates. So everybody knows what's going on at all times, right? Yeah. And we also get, it's also an app. Um, so you get the little notification on your phone. Yeah. So you can just glance and go, okay, cool. That's where Mrs. Jones is. Uh, all okay. right, that's where Mrs. Jones is. Yeah, right. So it makes things nice from a managerial perspective because you can just glance and see where things are. And there's a dashboard and all that, like any of these online programs, um, but it, it, it's pretty user-friendly. So in short, our business model is sales and, and office and um, quality control, right? Yeah. Because that harkens back to what I was saying before is now we, the cat, we don't have the cat by the tail, but rather we are driving quality and inspecting. Um, there's a, if you're a baseball fan, you would know the name Ewing Kaufman because Kaufman Stadium is where the Kansas City Royals play. Um, Ewing Kaufman was a big pharmaceutical uh, uh, person here in Kansas City. He's long since passed away. But um, he had a, a, a saying that we have kind of incorporated into our DNA. And that is people don't do what you expect, people do what you inspect. And that is the bones of our business is daily inspections um, because without that you know um, you, you hate to be overly negative or um, talking poorly about people and it's not from that context it's just a different mindset when your job is to always be looking at quality control versus your job is to one be the one doing the work you know even if, even on the line of uh, the best restaurants in the world you have the chef or someone who's functioning as an expediter. That's the one who's looking at the plate that the person in the kitchen made, right? And they might be the best, you know, uh, French food saute person in the world and they're plating something and it still goes to the expediter. They look at it, run their, you know, wet napkin across the plate, do a quick check on it before it goes out. So that's kind of what our PM's job is. That communication and also coaching and counseling of the of the crews because our project managers tend to have 20 plus years experience in uh, a variety of painting industry roles, whether it's commercial industry foremen or um, project managers or whatnot, but they, they, are, they are what makes this business run. So how do you set up, you know, it's interesting, you're paying the, the project manager, they're ultimately making more money than the sales staff. So how do you how do you compensate those roles? And then how do you work out your arrangements with the subcontractors? With the That's a great, great question. Um, so I'll answer the first question. Um, how do we compensate? We compensate on a base salary okay. without much bonus or commission. Um, I am part of a, um, a CEO and peer advisory group called C12. C, the letter C, it stands for Christian, 12, 12 people in our advisory group. And the idea is that we're meeting once a month for one full day, turning electronic devices off and opening our books to one another. And I'm the little guy in the room at, we, we do between two and 3 million a year. Um, and there are a couple of CEOs in the room that have seven, $800 million annual revenues. Right. Um, uh, yeah, right. Big, big hitters here in Kansas City. 
but we all have one focus and that's running our businesses for, for a better purpose. So um, that purpose in, in our mindset is that this is not my mission painting is not my business. It's the father's business. And it's just my job to run it in a way that's honoring to my dad. Right. So um, we had a discussion in a C12 meeting uh, a while back about um, sales compensation plans and individual quotas and things like that. And, you know, the, the common thought is, uh, quotas drive sales and, and bonuses drive behavior. And if it, you know, all, all this kind of stuff and individuals and, and you want to hire, you know, stone cold killers or assassins to go out and just sell, 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 right. Killers. Yeah. The sales killer. Yeah. Right. Stone cold killers. And, and part of me loves that because I'm competitive by nature. Uh, I was an athlete and you put a goal in front of me and I'm going to crush it. Just get out of the way. Right. I'm coming. Uh, don't, don't try and sell a job next to me trying to sell a job. You're not going to win. Okay. Yeah. But that's also not necessarily healthy, right? It's also not necessarily what's best for the client or the customer or, or your teammates or whatever. So there's a saying, uh, all boats rise with the tide, right? So we had a long discussion and one of the guys in our room who's a, a third generation business owner, multinational business, they have 80% of the market share in their business segment uh, globally, right? Wow. So yeah, he, so he speaks with a, a place of authority. Sure. on what he's talking about. And uh, he said, no, we did away with all sales quotas. Everybody is working towards a common goal and we have goals, but we don't have individual or company sales quotas. We have behaviors that we monitor because we know if we monitor the behaviors, then outcomes are a byproduct of the behavior and everybody works as a team. So if sales is out um, doing something just to benefit their sales quota, it may not benefit the production team. They might put the production team in a bad bind or whatever. Sure. And so it opened up this unforeseen like three or four hour dialogue that we just went down this rabbit hole talking. And I walked away from that thinking, you know what? I think there's a lot of point and merit to that. And um, I think we've all seen a salesperson that can be stressed out or uh, whatnot because it's the end of the month and they're trying to meet their quota or they um, it, it's obvious that they're gunning for the sale and not the relationship. Sure. So, I, so I, I really didn't want that for our business, right? If, if you build a business that says, hey, I'm supposed to honor something that was given to me and you know, create a, a generational legacy with it, that's probably not the best way to go about it. So we basically paid, we pay all of our staff, production managers and salespeople, um, a little bit more than what would be the going rate in the industry for doing a great job with bonus and that just becomes their new base and then we create an environment here where everybody is on the bus everybody's on the team everybody has the same vision and goals uh, for what our business is which all ties into our mission and um, we have seen that the fruit pays off from that because it's not about the individual it's about it's about the business in general and does that make sense? It, it does. And you're finding, so you're basically paying them as though they've already succeeded in, in meeting other object, you know, the way that other companies tend to structure it. Are you finding that that's working? Have you run into any, any, Tremendously. maybe it wasn't working? Tremendously. It's working. Um, everyone, you know, you know, we've got a dashboard estimate rocket provides a really easy to use dashboard for metrics, right? So a salesperson can see their close ratio they can see what they sold last month, last year, last quarter, whatever. And, and not just a salesperson, like the project manager can see it. And we have uh, weekly meetings and we talk about where we are. And um, I, I think when you hire A players, right? A players hire A players, B players hire C players, right? So when A, a players hire A players, they also attract other A players. And those are the people that don't need to be told what to do. They know what to do. Um, and so if you're already paying someone at that level, you're attracting the best talent. If you're attracting the best talent and you try and grow and um, mature that talent and give them a reputation to live up to, as Dale Carnegie would say, um, I think it's one of those situations where you kind of can not necessarily sit back and watch, but at the same time, you can, you can maybe take a step back 
and watch your team just go out and execute what's in front of them. But at the end of the day, I think that's all revolved around hiring the right people. You know, you can't, you can't bring a C player on and expect them to, you know, meet those same uh, uh, metrics or whatever. Sure. Where but do you to dovetail, dovetail into that, um, how do we bring our people? I think was the question you were going to ask. Yeah, yeah. Where do you find them? How do you vet them? Sure, sure. Um, not to be overly, um, oh, kumbaya-ish, <laughs> but um, I sincerely pray. Um, I, when it's time to hire someone, I pray that uh, someone would be introduced to us. Um, and I am batting a thousand on that. Um, and it sounds like, well, that can't be that simple. And actually it, it really is. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, I, I, it may not be, we, we have had instances, and this is the same true for, for subcontractors as well. I'll, tell you, I'll show you a, a neat story. So um, we were a little bit low on um, subcontractors. And so I was a little stressed out about it. Project manager at the time brought it to me and said, Hey, I'm really nervous. You know, we don't, we don't have enough people to do the work that we need to get done. And I said, okay, well, let's just pray right here by the truck. Heavenly father, uh, this is your business. We trust this is your business. Uh, we need workers. So uh, if you really want us to execute what's given before us, then we need you to provide the workers for this type of deal. Right. Yeah. Uh, no different than if, if your dad is in the room next door and go, Hey dad, you gave us all this work, but I need help getting people to do this. Sure. Uh, so that was at 1 or 2 p.m. Uh, on whatever day it was. The next morning, I woke up uh, at around 6.30 or 7, uh, and I had a voicemail from 6 a.m. And I got I had a voicemail from 6 a.m. from uh, this painter who uh, spoke with a Hispanic accent. They basically said, hello, uh, my name is so-and-so. I own Heaven's Glory Painting. I'm a pastor and I have uh, painters that work for me as my side business. Um, I was wondering if you needed workers. I felt like I needed to call you. <laughs> have you ever have you ever gotten a phone call from God? You can say, yes, I have. <laughs> I was like, and so I, I, I'll call my project manager at the time. I was like, hey, there's a guy I need you to interview. <laughs> and he was like, serious. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's just, so it's kind of one of those things, and, and I am I am far from being a model of, um, gosh, certainly not religion or um, you know even somebody would look at me and be like, oh, you know, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, you did this wrong. And I'm like, yes, yeah, on the regular, uh, a, a, a huge work in progress. But what I do try and say is, hey, but I do recognize that this is something bigger. What what we're doing here, our business is something bigger, and uh, I try to honor that in all the decisions we make regarding this, and both yeah. personally and professionally. So um, another side benefit of paying the project managers kind of what they would be if they were um, executing X amount of work and hitting X amount of margins is they are no longer stressed out about the individual job. So if we have a job where we make 10%, right? Which for us is, is horrible. If we make 10% profit, uh, and that's just on the job, that's after labor material on a specific job and it's not over overhead. Um, if they, if that was tied to their bonus, then that just creates a unnecessary stressful environment, especially when you're head down focus on just what's in front of you of the next few jobs that are in front of you, right? Like a, like a batter worrying about his batting average, you know, it just doesn't sure. make any sense. Don't worry, don't worry about that. You know, you execute these fundamentals when you're in the batter's box and the byproduct that at the end of the season is you're going to have a, you know, 300 batting average sure. or, you know, if you execute these things, then our PL is going to look like this, regardless of the one-offs here and there. Same thing, right? Like you shouldn't be strutting like a peacock if, um, you crush it on a job and have a 65% profit margin, right? Well, maybe the salesperson just got a lot of money for that and it didn't take us near as much as, you know, let's say we thought the wallpaper 
was going to be ten thousand dollars, and it all came off like scotch tape off of off of a coke can. Cool, yeah. right? So, I, I guess what I'm getting at is I try to pay people what they're worth plus, and lean into what they're most capable of and, and push them to do that. And how do you how do you compensate your subcontractors? Great question. Um, so. It is not uncommon for us to hear that we are, it's not, it's not uncommon for us to hear that we are 20% higher than, than our competition. And the feedback we get is, hey, uh, you know, response from a, uh, a person who wants to go with us. Hey, we, we know that you're 20% higher, but we really feel that our house is going to be in good hands with you. We'd like to hire you to do work. Awesome. Thank you, Mr. Mrs. So-and-so. Um, the that allows us to pay our subcontractors more yeah right like cool now you got more margin right so you mm -hmm. have more margin of job you can share that margin typically we know what a going rate is for labor to get work done in this town yep. and we pay a little bit of a premium on that in the same way that we um would like to pay all of our staff well we believe in paying our subcontractors well yep. and sometimes um our subcontractors will say um hey we need more money in this job then the question is why is, is are you asking retroactively because you didn't manage your labor very well sure you know and, and then that's probably a no right it's not our job to pay you because you didn't manage your labor very well Right. If, if, if we agreed that this is how much, you know, this room, if, if, if my office should take $200 of labor to paint, but somebody sent, you know, an amateur painter out here to do it, and they had 20 hours painting this office, I'd say, that's, you know, that's not my problem. Right. That's, that's your problem to own that. Mm -hmm. uh, conversely, sometimes um, estimators are off. Yeah. And we, and we own that. And so I think just by virtue of our, oh, 80, 90 years of experience in the painting business across all people, right? You can look at something objectively and say, no, this is, this is really a, a fair price for this. Yeah. So, and, and that's how we dictate our um, uh, pricing for what a, a house is going to paint. You know, our average job is hovers around $10,000. Do you have a, so, a particular gross profit margin you're aiming for on your jobs? We do. So just on the job, not the business, we're aiming for 40%. Okay. Um, and and um, pushing you, Eric, to just, just keep diving in. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's a good question. So it's not quite the magic eight ball of how we came up with that, but I think it's one of those kind of time in the business of seeing, hey, this is what's realistic expect that you can make on a job if you are this type of business that can sell quality over, uh, over price, right? And if yeah. we sell value over price, then we know that we can sell a job for X premium over. Now you have to deliver on that, of course, yeah. right? You can't just, the, 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 the sizzle can't be better than the spice, as they say. So if then you can deliver on that and get X amount of price, knowing what labor should be to get that done, it's kind of like a math equation that solves itself. Got you know, it. so, yeah. so, so to ask your question, how do you say 40%? Well, you say, well, that's just kind of what it ends up being. Sure. Um, and at that point, we can have a viable business model. Sure. Right. At that point, I can pay uh, a salesperson. I can pay a project manager if we do X amount of jobs per year, right? And so basically my, my thought process is one salesperson can sell a million and a half to two and a half million dollars a year, and that should be able to employ one to two project managers. We're on the upper end of that. So right now we're looking at our next um, salesperson hire. We had someone identified, but as things go, sometimes they don't always work, right? Sure. So um, if anyone in the Kansas City area is listening, we are in the market for another salesperson. Yeah, nice. Man. <laughs> Shameless plug, and, right? <laughs> and 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 you pay well. You pay above market. Uh, significantly above market. Yeah. yeah. 
So I want to I want to dive in. You're obviously a, a man of faith, and and you've placed this business largely in God's hands, and and that's been, come back and benefited you. Um, I want to talk about the reason behind your name and why you exist. Oh, thanks for asking. So, um, mission painting. I'm a former Marine, and so a lot of people might think that mission painting is like mission barbecue or mission this or whatever. And, and you know, you have the the uh, the American flag colors and uh, that's not it. There's also Mission, Kansas, which is a, a, a nice town um, in the Kansas City metro. And so they think that we're based out of Mission, Kansas. And that's also not it, but those are just assumptions if you're from around here. Um, mission painting exists because our mission is to help widows and orphans. The Bible says true religion is this, to help widows and orphans and those in need, right? So um, it just kind of seemed real logical to me to say, hey, this isn't my business. This is the father's business. Our mission is to make an impact. So our mission statement is very simple. It's to love, love others and serve our neighbors. Love others by providing a great paint job so that we can serve our neighborhood by helping widows and orphans, right? Love others, serve your neighbors. Real simple. And so every, every team meeting we have is looked at through that lens, all of our objectives, all of our KPIs, our key performance indicators, um, the the lessons we learn, right? I, I've got a, I call this the Bob behind me. That's the, every business should have a giant dry erase board. <laughs> I don't care if you're a car wash or Google, you should have a giant dry erase board to brainstorm on. Yeah. So we, we call it the Bob for the big A whiteboard, B-A-W-B. Nice. Um, But um, I don't know if you can read anything on that, but we were discussing um, a job that went sideways about a week ago. And I love opportunities like that, right? Because they tend to be really inexpensive lessons. Because if you go back and own it and always do what's right, um, and you're operating from that do what's right from the get-go, usually it shouldn't be that painful of a lesson. But I'll be candid and share with you what it was. Uh, we had a customer who had us paint their full interior a year ago and uh, called us and wanted us to do touch-ups. They had banged up some of the baseboards and whatnot. The salesperson goes out and says, okay, well, our minimum is $500. She says, yeah, that's fine. And then says to the project manager, hey, we need to do touch-ups. Project manager says, oh, that's on the far side of town. It's just touch-ups. We've done work for them before. I'm not going to go walk it with the customer beforehand. And shows up the next day. Customer's already out of town, left us the keys, right? We have trust and rapport. We've done a full interior for them. Um, you know, we're we're like like a trusted, like a trusted relative at this point. Well, we spent three days there with three people doing touch-ups. Whoa. What happened? That's exactly right. What happened? That's what I was looking at. As I'm, as I'm looking at the daily logs, I was like, wow, that's a lot of touch-ups. And so I'm already kind of on this, but I didn't see any change orders go to the client. And uh, I'm thinking, I don't know that this is going to go great. Maybe he's talked to her. He, project manager, has talked to her client and told her what's going on. And uh, anyway, at the end of the long weekend, on Monday, um, of last week, we sent the uh, bill for $4,300. I was like, uh, I don't know that that's going to go super well. Yeah. Sure enough. Sure enough. And I, and I reached out to the project manager. I was like, Hey, did you give them daily updates of, of, uh, what labor looked like every day? No. <laughs> okay. So we know how this is going to go. Everybody already knows how this story ends. Yeah. So the customer, uh, sends back an email, uh, just beside herself of like, how could we go from here to here? What, what right. happened? Furthermore, not everything that I was wanting to be done was done. And um, what I'm getting at is we did an after action. Basically what we ended up doing was going back to the customer saying, you know what, we're, you're so right. This is totally our fault. We didn't communicate what we were doing and align that with what you wanted done. Tell you what, just pay us the $500 minimum. Don't worry about anything else. We value your trust and your relationship more than any margin on the job. So that cost us 1500 bucks, I think, on the job because I had maybe yeah. three or $400 in material. 
and probably, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars or something like that in labor. Yeah. Okay. So you say, all right, I basically just, I, I would have been better off walking up to this lady and writing her a check for $1,500, handing it to her and just walking away. However, the lesson learned was fantastic. The first thing we talked about in this lesson was, did we love her, right, in what we did? And, and, and in our context, right, love is a verb, right? Did we honor her? Did we respect her? Did we show kindness to her? Did we understand where her needs were and execute mm -hmm. those? Did we treat her checkbook as if it were our checkbook? And we didn't. We didn't do any of those things. And so we came up with using our, our Bob here, a, um, a line item for labor that says, these are the do's and don'ts basically of when we come work for you by the hour. And, and our, our lens of that was again, our, through our mission, right? Of love, how do we set ourselves up for success on the next time? And basically it's, we will have a not to exceed line item. We will uh, communicate every day with the hours worked and, have a full scope of work before we start. Project manager must do a walkthrough to make sure we're on the same page. Since that's hourly work, we want to honor your time and your payroll since that's that's how it's kind of transpiring. So that I think is is the explanation of the reason behind the name and then how it applies through the daily, right? Of uh, not it just being lip service. I also took uh, two people from our team to Uganda uh, for 10 days in February, because we worked out a deal with, uh, two of our paint vendors, Sherwin Williams and, uh, Spectrum Paint Company, who is our Benjamin Moore rep here. And those are the two primary products we use in, uh, this region is Benjamin Moore and Sherwin Williams. Pittsburgh, uh, not a big deal. Um, can't get Farrow and Ball around here. And, uh, the West Coast paints aren't really in our market. Uh, I know there's a couple of West Coast vendors and they're just not here. So um, here's the deal we worked out. Um, we get a rebate back from everything we purchased from Sherwin and Spectrum of 10%. Wow. Uh, yeah, big number. Um, and we take that 10% and we get that back basically in Q1 from the previous year. So we just got our checks back this year. So we had almost $50,000 this year that we can give to um, an organization that we have aligned with called Forgotten Children Worldwide. It's actually the brother of Rick Hartzell who founded Somerset Painting in Michigan. So uh, Forgotten Children Worldwide has like a 90 plus percent pass through on the monies you give them. And uh, they, their mission, uh, aligns with ours. It's widows, widows and orphans. Right. Um, so we went to Uganda to go take a look at a school that we're helping to build that will train girls in, uh, a marketable skill, such as being a seamstress for a year after they've aged out of their regular school. They're typically 16 to 19 years old so that they don't have to go into prostitution in order to buy feminine hygiene products, for example. And that's a real story, a real example of the, the challenges facing uh, the abject poverty in Uganda. We also support an orphanage in Nepal. Um, and all of that is because of, um, all, all of that specific is because of the rebate package that we've worked out with uh, Sherwin and, and Spectrum. So we love our vendors. They're, they're partners yeah. with us in as much as everything. So loving our neighbor to us isn't just our customer, right? It's, it's anybody that would be the neighbor context, which is sure. my physical neighbor, the customer, um, our subcontractors, we treat them with the same level of, of dignity and respect that we would each other, our vendors. Um, it's, it's absolutely intolerable for us, anybody on the team to uh, abuse any of our vendor relationships. And I some some painters can be kind of rough on their on their reps and and that's just not that's not our that's not our dna that's amazing man thank you for for that impact that you're making that's absolutely incredible it's a lot of fun we also stole the uh paint it forward uh branding um uh, yeah from josh yes i'm it's out of california i'm drawing all a blank right, on the painting. uh all right thank you goodness yeah. gracious uh, um, so they, those guys are, uh, 
fantastic. They're a fantastic inspiration. And uh, how great is it that they let everyone use the paint it forward uh, uh, name, right? Yeah. So we put our colors on that and, and, and we use it, but we also try to give them as much credit when I don't forget all right to name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. With yeah. now, Sherwin Williams, when you get those rebates back, is that just do they know what you use it for? Is that part of how you've been able to negotiate such a high rebate? Okay, it is. Yep. I also um, don't beat them up on pricing, right? Like, like I understand that that money has to come from somewhere, you know. So you could um, technically say, well, you know that. That you're money you're just paying you're yourself. just you're just paying more for the paint, and so it's just a deferred savings account for you. Kind of, they give us good pricing, so I, I think they give us more competitive pricing than, let's say, just a ten percent markup over someone else. Um, sure. And we typically use um, the premium products, so you know our standard exterior paints uh, would be Emerald Rain Refresh from Sherwin or Benjamin Moore Aura from Benjamin Moore. Those are our, our go tos. Um, not to say that we don't use other other lines, but when you look at things by a, a a pie chart, those take up the most. Sure, yeah, makes sense, man. So, what are you, what are you most excited about? I guess um, with the future of your business. I'm excited about this year. We had a conversation uh, with a team that this year was going to be a test year mm. of testing if I can not be involved operationally. Nice. Um, I am uh, supervisory in a sense, um, but uh, Horst Schultze uh, was the founder of Ritz Carlton. Um, and he, when we were in COVID, um, I guess technically we're still in COVID, but when we were early on in COVID <laughs> in we were 2020. Really of it. Yeah. 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 Early on in 2020, when we were, um, doing shelter in place and things like that, right? Like nobody was working that that wasn't essential. And, and uh, although we technically could have been essential, um, we had the margin and the ability at that time to just kind of shut it down, pay everybody for a month, sit it out, yep. and let's try and let this pass over. Obviously, that wasn't effective for a number of reasons, but that's another podcast, right? That's so yeah, that's a whole other whole <laughs> other ball of yeah. So um, what we did is we met on Zoom uh, most days for a couple hours a day to do team training, right? Nice. And not painting training, but like character training and uh, mission statement training and things like that. Um, we did a master's class. I signed up for the master's class, uh, which... Side note, Aaron Franklin's barbecue masterclass is the best barbecue course you could ever take. So, <laughs> but the masterclass that we really enjoyed was led by Horst Schultze, founder of Ritz Carlton, and talking about excellence in service, right? Um, Ritz Carlton's mantra was ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Cool, right? So you're elevating yourself to the same level as the people you're taking care of treating them with dignity and respect and carrying yourself with dignity and respect, et cetera. One of the things that Horst did is he empowered everybody, everybody at the hotel from the housekeeper to the busboy, up to a certain dollar amount to take care of someone if they were upset about something. And it was something outrageous. Um, something like a thousand or $2,000 or something like that is that they could do. Can you imagine your busboy is like, sure, let me go get you a bottle of Cristal to make up for your, your eggs that were overcooked. You know, like, yeah. like it, it, it was, it was an absurd amount. However, it was also the onus was on that person to be able to explain why they did what they did, you know, sure. and everybody looked at the bottom line as, as like, this is a team effort and, and et cetera. So going through that, um, and number of other training academies, we did some Patrick Lencioni stuff. Um, we implemented, uh, traction, uh, by Gino Wickman, uh, which is a entrepreneurial operating system, EOS. Uh, sidebar for any small business owner who wants to grow, look into EOS and traction by Gina Wickman. It is the fundamentals for how to set up your business for growth down the road. Yep. Um, we implemented a number of processes and it's kind of now two years later coming to a, a, 
a point where I've told a team, I'm no longer involved. You can make whatever savings you need to make. There is no dollar amount that you can't do to make something right. For example, that case study we just talked about where it, round numbers, $4,500 was the bill, $500 is what we collected. It was a $4,000 comp yep. that project manager and salesperson made the decision on their own to do what's right under the idea of how do we, how do we love this person? What's the best thing to do in this scenario? And they did it, they did the right decision and, uh, it, and, and it's fantastic. So what I'm excited about is seeing this next stage of growth in the team. I'm excited about taking a step back and uh, kind of watching it and, and being almost like a, oh, like a silent partner in a sense versus um, if anybody's familiar with a Enneagram personality test, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, which means um, I'm really good at imposing my will on others. That makes for a great quality in a salesperson, but it can also lead to micromanaging if you're a project manager or, or a business owner, if you're not careful. So this year I told the team is a test year, a test of me not being involved. Can this run? Um, and run as if I were here? Can you make the decisions as if you were the owner of the business, running it along this vision, this shared vision? And next year is a tweak year, learn from our, our, our uh, ups and downs. And 2024 is an expansion year. Nice. So uh, we'll see. The, the, the goal, like I said in the beginning, uh, we try to be very Stephen Covey, uh, seven habits of highly effective people, beginning with the end in mind. Right. Um, where I would like to see a growth model for this business where we have um, several locations that are all operating the same. You know, uh, yeah. as we grow, we can scale, we can have some shared costs. And I think that's uh, fairly feasible. But there's yeah. a couple of a couple little tweaks that we need to make first. And I think we'll be good to go. Sure. I'm so not, yeah. a, I'm not, oh, go ahead. I'm not a huge fan of the franchise model. Um, yeah. I don't oppose it. And I don't think just because you're a franchise, you're bad, or just because you're not a franchise, you're good. That's kind of like the subcontractor employee sure. model. You know, I think it depends on how you run either one. Um, but we're looking forward to how to solve that next problem. How do we grow? And do we use someone else's capital like a franchise and then, and then franchise it kind of like a Chick-fil-A does where there's ultimate uh, consistency across locations, you know, or... I think there are examples of franchises in our industry without naming names that don't do that very well, that just collect a franchise fee and offer training or offer resources, but don't enforce right. the culture of excellence. Yeah, kind of makes it hit or miss for those franchises. Exactly, makes it hit or miss. It, it becomes reliant on whether or not the um, franchisee wants it or wants to be at work buying in versus uh, I think kind of driving that ball to the end zone. And the end zone is, is, is you know, an excellent product, yeah. an excellent rep reputation. Yeah. So Eric, it seems like one of the things that you're really good at as a business owner and entrepreneur is taking situations that are less than ideal, we'll say, like COVID or this situation with this customer that you ended up taking a pretty big cash hit on and turning them into a positive. And I find that I find that's a consistent trait among successful entrepreneurs. So I just want to identify it because you said, oh, situations like these are great. How many people would say, oh, this job went sideways. That's great. You know, that, that optimism <laughs> is great because it's because you're looking at it from an ROI perspective. You're saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to pay $1,500. And what I'm going to get back is the opportunity to better improve my quality for all the other projects and avoid other issues down the line. Right. Absolutely. To, dang it. It happened. I think that, that that's a huge point. Oh, COVID happened. We had to shut down. Okay, great. Because now we can do these character training, go into all these master classes and, and up level our, our entire, our entire company. Um, that's just an awesome mindset, man. Thank you. It's, um, I think it's integral to leadership that you have to have that mindset of positivity, right? Because that's mm -hmm. contagious. I mean, yeah. I mean, le leadership, 
personality traits are contagious, right? Whether good or bad, right? If you're a bad leader, that can be very contagious to your team. If you're, excuse me, a good leader. Um, And, you know, I mean, I hate to, I hate to sound like, you know, a Dudley do right or Ned Flanders or whatever, and keep circling this back. (laughs) Diddly diddly do. (laughs) Yeah, right? Because, because frankly, at baseline, I'm more of a giggity giggity guy. Yeah, nice. (laughs) Nice. But, um, if we say that this is the father's business and the father is in control, right? And if you're doing things in a righteous manner, right? Righteous meaning like doing what you're supposed to be doing, how you're supposed to be doing it as if your father is watching you, right? And it's not like you have to be Christian to, to ascribe to this, right? This is just common sense in a business, right? Doing, thing, doing things right for people. Doing things right. You know, but in the Christian context, if I say this is the father's business and the father is in control, I then have to trust that when things go sideways, that's an opportunity presented to us to maximize now so that down the road, you don't have that times 10 or times 100 or whatever. Right. So, I mean, if you fast forward with BHAG ideals, the big, hairy, audacious goal ideals if uh somebody didn't pick up on that say hey in 20 years i want 50 locations okay well in if you have 50 locations and then i'll make that 1500 mistake that's seventy five thousand dollars in 20 years that you just saved yourself with a 1500 check cool i'll write that check every day man well, what, what a powerful point <laughs> yeah what a, what a powerful point that that point right there so, so if you have an abundance mindset and if you are, if you have aggressive goals, then no matter what happens, I mean, the logical conclusion here is no matter what happens and no matter when it happens, thank God, because in the few, because you're growing. So thank God it happened now. If it happens in three years from now, it's not 1500, it's a uh, 20,000. Well, thank God. Thank God it didn't happen right. six years from now because you're, you, right. the longer it takes for you to make a mistake, the, the more magnitude that mistake is going to, to cost you. That's very well put and and hundred percent on point great and mindset, on, man. on on brand for us as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a super abundance growth oriented mindset. Welcome challenges because they're going to just make you better in the long term, and they're going to cost you less today than they will tomorrow. Sure, and I think to the 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 probably doesn't have to be said, but should be said on that is don't make the same mistake twice, right? Like learn learn hey, from those. Tech and learn it yeah don't keep paying the same stupid tax and it becomes a really stupid tax yeah exactly right like and 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 so lean into the opportunities to to grow to learn and to make corrections from and have the courage to always 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 do what's right and uh and and own it and grow from it and and that's kind of the thing right like you say man this business where we are i don't know if it's true in florida as much but it's so seasonal where Mm -hmm. we have winters you know And so every winter, cash flow gets tight. Every winter, um, there's there's less work than there is in the summertime. And we try to stabilize that through a number of different things. Uh, so I would say we are less seasonal than almost everybody in town, right? But we're still seasonal, sure. right? Like right now, I'd like to be outside painting. You can't see out my window, but it's almost snowing. <laughs> Come on. You know, yeah. baseball season starts yeah. in two days. Yeah. <laughs> It's not supposed to snow in baseball season, uh, but you do what's right and you trust and you know that um, the father says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to uh, prosper you and to give you a future. Okay. Well, I lean into that. Yeah. And, some, and sometimes that's hard, but it doesn't make it not doable. Yeah. Eric, what... Uh, changes or, or do you see changes happening in the painting industry in say the next 10 years? Man, I wish I knew the answer to that. I think in a lot of industries, there's um, automation and whatnot. I don't know that I really see that in our industry. Um, I don't know that there's, um, there's an app for, well, there's several apps. There's one I'm drawing a blank on for roofers or sliders where they can take some pictures of a house and send it off to somebody in X amount of time, whether it's a day or an hour or whatever, they get back the number of squares that are on that roof, right? What's the square footage of the roof? What the squares of siding? How much linear feet of trim do you have? 
So it makes their estimating job very easy. I don't think we have that luxury where something could just, you know, you just input some numbers and it pops up and here's your answer because it's so high touch point, you know, it's almost like saying, you know, what's the future of fine dining? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same, it's execute, right? Um, I think what is interesting is what's the future of labor in our industry? Um, every painter that works for us is a 1099 and also um, I think without exception at this time is a first generation worker here, mm. right? Um, and I don't see that trend changing in, in this country. I, I might raise some eyebrows when I say this, but in this country, if you are a 35-year-old or 40-year-old painter, right, meaning not a business owner, right, you have a paintbrush and a roller and a ladder and you've been painting for 25 years or whatever, and you come to me to say, hey, I'd like to work for you as a painter. And I say, okay, what do you wanna make? And I say, I wanna make $30 an hour. I wanna make $35 an hour. They might be very good, right? But that goes back to our original conversation of most important to them is getting their hours and they might be able to work unsupervised, nothing against that or, or whatever. But in our experience, those guys typically have something in their story that has prevented them from being a manager or a salesperson or owning their own business or what have you. There's exceptions. There's certainly exceptions. But if we're looking at averages, something is in their story. Whereas a first generation coming here did not have those same opportunities to go to college or to become a business owner or whatever. And they are out here working like a devil, 12 hour days, six and a half days a week smiling, happy to have the work, um, excited to learn new things, to put another feather in their cap of a skill set, et cetera. Um, and have worked very well for us in our, in our co-branding. Uh, most of our subcontractors profess a, a Spanish version of our same faith, right? They're either devout Catholics or are, you know, evangelical Christians from Honduras or, or, or what, what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think there's a lot of alignment there with that. I, I, I can't, uh, doubt that there's probably some answered prayers with that. Um, but what I'm circling back to is in the future in 10 years, you know, immigration has been, been crazy and it's a hot topic of discussion. And I, I don't have a particular opinion of immigration other than to love my neighbor, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we pay everyone by the books, right? We pay business to business. They have to have a tax ID. They have to have um, their workers' comp and insurance and all and, and all these things, right? So everything is is all above board when I when I'm talking about these first generation people coming here, and sometimes that's hard to find. Um, but you don't know what the accessibility to a labor pool is going to look like, and so if accessibility to a labor pool is very hard. That means pricing is going to be much higher. And I don't know what the market will be able to take as far as you know, no one's going to paint or pay $2,500 to have their bedroom painted. Yeah. If it's just a standard, you know, 12 by 12 bedroom, right? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, well, in today's dollars, right? Let's use today's yeah. dollars. I don't yeah. know what, in, in here from now, let's hope, let's hope $2,500 is, is not a, a trivial amount in 10 years. Let's hope it's not, we're not going to McDonald's in a year and paying that. Yeah, we'll hope not. That's right. That's right. No Zimbabwe inflation. So um, the future, I think, relies on us. It's incumbent on us. It's imperative for us to treat those that work with us and for us and have shared visions and dreams um, like you could lose them tomorrow and to do whatever it takes to keep those people close, right? Yeah. Not, there are people that view subcontractors as, you know, just a turnstile, right? Sure. Like, okay, there's like, as if there's infinite workers out there and, and there's not, right. you know, there's just not. That's a good point. So I think that's probably my biggest, 
foresight or whatever looking forward sure. yeah appreciate you sharing that i don't because i don't think products are going to change that much you know right. it's like you know invent a better mousetrap i mean it's it's, it's paint you know yeah. the rain rainx rainx was a cool thing uh not rainx rain refresh uh yeah. in emerald paint do you guys use that down there yeah yeah we use it here we get a lot of um hurricanes and and summer there's a whole lot of rain and storms sure yeah. So, you know, that, that's a neat product where it creates some self-washability uh, yeah. on the exterior of a home. But again, and if I had the answer to that, you know, maybe we'd be in a different industry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, for sure. There, there's your $800 million company you're talking about. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, do you have any other advice, Eric? This has been incredibly uh, insightful. Really appreciate your time. Do you have any other advice that you would like to pass on to other owners? Um. You know, you had a couple of questions or talking points that we'd, um, you know, missing, you know, marketing questions and things like that. Um, it depends on who's listening, right? Um, if, who is your average listener? Is it somebody that's just starting out that's trying to, it's kind of, trying to figure out their way? Or is it, we have a, a lot, a lot in the, let's say, 250 to 750 and then then we have some listeners that are really more in the two three four million so i think sure. the majority of them are probably under a million the majority of our listeners right. fair enough and i think that's a um an interesting kind of tipping point right that uh our first year we did just under 500 when it was just me next year we did right at a million when it was mostly just me but i had no life you know mm -hmm. um so I think some pitfalls to watch out for, right? Uh, if you're married and you have a family, make sure they come first. Sometimes you have to sacrifice that firstness in a sense for the short term yeah. so that the long term you can say, so you can, but, but that needs to be clear dialogue at home. Yeah. Say, hey, family. This isn't um, forever. This isn't forever, right? Yeah. These are, the, these are the, the goalposts that I need to get to and then I'm gonna be home more. Right. Um, Rick Hartzell in Michigan taught me a, a great lesson. You solve a problem with a person, right? So if you have a problem, hire someone to address that if you have the bandwidth to do it. There are things that I hate doing. I hate doing um, data entry and admin and things like that. I just, I put it off and I put it off and then it becomes this giant stack on my desk that then I have to get to and then I avoid it. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so what did I do? I hired an office person to do that. So now it's just done every day. Uh, same thing with taxes or whatever. Uh, solve a problem with a person. Don't be focused on growth as the immediate like obsession, whatever. Growth is a byproduct of behavioral patterns, right? Do what you're supposed to do. Make wise decisions and growth will be a byproduct. If you just started in business um, in year one, and you did 250, cool. Now you have a baseline of where you should probably be able to grow from, but it is um, inherent and it's built in organically that you will grow if you do a great job on that 250 in sales. Now you have 250, let's say it's at an average of 5,000. That's 50 jobs you did that we're all happy. That's 50 people talking about the work you did that will lead to more work. So if you just, if just a baseline, if you do the same marketing, then you're going to grow by X percent, whether that's 10% or 20%, as long as the outside market factors aren't changing things too much, like a pandemic year or a recession or whatever, you're going to grow. So I think it's just kind of like a be patient and be trusting in, in, in the brand that you're building and always go back to your brand. Do everything through that filter, whatever your brand is. If your brand is, is um, price, then do that, right? and do that and do it well and do it through price and don't let anybody beat you on price. If your brand is value, do it on value. If your brand is, you know, whatever, do it through that lens. Um, treat everybody that works for you like you want them to be around for the long term. Yeah. Whether that's in pay or in respect or in ensuring that you are um, leading by example by work-life balance and that your team is also having the same work-life balance. That's a problem with our team sometimes is um, guys are so dedicated to their job, they're sacrificing some family time. And it's incumbent on me to say, hey, look, turn off your phone at a certain time. Don't send work emails. Don't respond to work emails. And 
make sure that your family is getting the attention because if we don't have it at home, it really makes it hard to have it at work. Sure. Yeah. So I think those are some those are some things that I would I would um, try to stress on. Don't get caught up in um, call it have a have a good sniffer, right? Try to sniff out the BS when someone's trying to sell you something about the latest greatest marketing technique or strategy yeah. or or the snake oil that can be uh, search engine optimization and all that, right? Like first focus on your brand and your reputation because if you have a perfect Google Google rating that will help your SEO more than, you know, somebody saying they can put you at the top of Google because that's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you're never going to be at the top of Google if you have a 4.2 rating, right? Just forget about it. Mm-hmm. So I think those are, those are things that I would, uh, that I would harp on. Well, Eric, um, really appreciate your time. This was, this was incredible, man. Thanks for coming on. Definitely a, a unique, a unique perspective. And I'm, I haven't talked with many people with, potentially any people who have gotten a call from God. So that was pretty cool, man. That's a cool story. <laughs> it, it, it was a pastor, but I think he was probably answering the same phone call I was. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. Thanks so much for your time. Hey, I appreciate your time. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, Visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.